Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. And today, we're counting down the best albums of 2019. You can now listen to episodes on the BrotherPod app, which also gives you access to t- additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. You can also interact with us directly through the talkback feature, ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download on your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now... Let's talk about the best albums of 2019. Brother, brother, brother podcast. It is our fourth annual 21 best albums of the year this year, 2019. I can't believe we've done this four years running. It's a, uh, that in and of itself, I feel like feels like an achievement. Um, as we have done, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, we have miscalculated wildly and, um, this year, I think we've got a, uh, an all-time high for top 20 albums. I think we have 23 top 20 albums this year. So, um, you know, I, I I know, Christian, you've been under a rock for six months. Um, but, uh, you know, I just figured we'd have a free-form conversation about what happened in, in 2019. And I don't think you can start any conversation about music in 2019 without just singularly identifying it as the year of Lizzo. I think that's right. Um, she has uh, just been a force of nature um, on the scene, and, and really, you know, every performance uh, of hers is, is just um, a pretty pretty extraordinary event, it seems. I, I think um, it's rare that you have somebody who brings that much uh, joy and enthusiasm to, um, frankly, to their work, whatever it is. Uh, and I think, you know, the the genuine, like life-affirming pleasure that she gets being on a stage is just awesome. Like, there's really... I, I encourage anybody, like, just go look at the... You know, go watch the Tiny Desk concert. Mm-hmm. Go watch her on Two Dope Queens. Like, you will spend hours uh, pouring through her incredible uh, repertoire of, of public performances. She is awesome. Yeah, the uh, year cool. of grim politics and uh, controversy, she definitely uh, brought life and light to uh, to everybody. I kind of yes, thank like you the, for reminding us of the grim politics and yeah. controversy, Jeremy. I appreciate that. But then the <laughs> the other sort of you know, I mean, not I, was, I was speaking other, of Spygate too, by the way, not uh, <laughs> uh, the other you know sort of I guess you know sort of trend for lack of a better term. Every every year you get new pop stars on the on the map, but I think people like Claro, Billie Eilish. Um, you know, are sort of uh, pulling in a new direction that, that uh, you know, indeed musically, but also just sort of this, um, you know, out of nowhere creation that doesn't have the same sort of Max Martin thumbprint that's been uh, the hallmark of, of these kinds of uh, pop stars for the last 20 plus years now. 
Um, well, it's, a, you know, it's an interesting point, I think, about the, or, or an observation sort of about the industry in general, which is that, like, you know, the field was leveled very quickly in terms of, you know, what's often described, I think, as sort of the democratization of, of the music industry, where, like, all of these distribution channels through YouTube, through whatever, like, were suddenly available. And I think that there were a few examples of people making it, you know, from sort of coming out of, as you say, you know, coming really coming out of nowhere, and, and Justin Bieber being the most prominent of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that just because the distribution channels changed doesn't mean that the architecture of the industry actually changed. Um, and I think what we're seeing now, you know, sort of five to ten years on, is like the the catch up effect of like that 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 you know new sort of. Uh, level playing field, all access, um, uh, like network of places you can push your music out to the world. Um, that's really being, you know, being felt pretty widely. Um, and so you're, you're going to start to see like three quarters of the pop stars that come out every year being out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of cool. The way music's made, I mean, not on our list is Lil Nas X, but obviously the biggest single of the year by far, and that was a beat that he got off the internet and then, you know, laid a track over, a country rap over, and, you know, became the longest-running number one hit. Yeah, I only realized once I looked at New York Times has an interesting... um, uh, segment that they, you know, video segment that they do on the making of a song or the, you know, um, and I didn't realize until I watched that and probably everybody else already knew the story, but that little Nas X had never met the guy who, who did the track before he recorded the song. It's pretty wild. And only when the guy heard the track, did he know that he had, it was his beat. Yeah. I heard it on the radio. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty, That's pretty yeah. wild, and he's a you know I think he's Belgian or. Uh, I wonder Dutch. what that does for you know the the sort of creative process though. I mean, and I, Wyndham, you probably are, would have the best sort of vantage point on this, like having had to write with people you've never really met. I mean, it's it's just it's difficult to imagine that kind of chemistry. Although I guess it is a pretty segmented process, particularly when you think about like, uh, you know, putting putting a beat together and then. Um, putting lyrics and, and you, uh, rhyming over it. So. When you think of the people who are collaborating, you know, like Billy and Phineas uh, Eilish, you know, they're working together, um, you know, music and lyrics, and, but I, you know, understand that he's largely responsible for the music and production. Um, you know, if somebody brings you a, a finished track, and you don't necessarily have to be a collaborator with that person. Um in order for it to, you know, you know, bend it to your your needs, and uh, you know, with this little Nas X thing, he was like, I was just seriously on the internet looking for uh, cool beats to to you know write over, and uh, that's what happened. It was pretty wild. So let that be a lesson to you kids. Put yes. your put your beats on the internet. <laughs> Borrow first and credit Who later. Who would have thought country rap would be a thing? I, yes. I think everybody for the last 30 years has been predicting it and finally came true. Everybody's like determined to make it happen, yeah. including my mom, by the way, who called me at one point like two or three years ago to say, you know, I just don't think that there's like enough uh, thinking going into like merging these two genres. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I disagree. <laughs> my, I mean, at the my, t- <laughs> 
I actually had the, the, I think it was around 2000, 2001, when I had this brilliant idea that I was going to put all the country story songs to hip-hop beats, uh, and then never right. really got around to it. But, I mean, I, I, it makes yeah. perfect sense that The Devil Went Down to Georgia could be a hip-hop song to me. But I think it's also the, it's just, it's the pure, like, um, it, it's the sheer, like, uh, market, like, creating, um, you know, pressure that everybody's like, just, oh, could we, could we, they're two completely different, like, um, customer bases, right? So you can, you can make a shit ton of money if you can somehow bring, like, Garth, Garth Brooks and Jay-Z's fan bases together. And also Absolutely. the two most lucrative genres. Which is to there. say, just empty out a Walmart, and there you go. Um, <laughs> so like. I, it is kind of funny though, because I think that you know, as much as I've you know, kind of, you know, said this uh, before uh, with you know, our you know, some of our favorites like Rage Against the Machine, or uh, you know, Pearl Jam. Um, uh, additionally, it's like this is going to spawn a million bad imitators. Uh, we're going to get whatever the country rap equivalent of the Vetter voice is for the next ten years. Now, um, anyway, that's a, a lot of that, speculation. That, that's for what? 20, 20. I, I, can we also take like uh, for for like just take a moment to to say that for the for the like mainly rap groups out there who are sort of let's say like eighty percent rap, twenty percent country. So I'm thinking like. It's sort of rap with like a, with like a country attitude or sensibility or just like let's just say maybe from a rural place. And really, I'm just thinking about like nappy roots here. Um, mm-hmm. That is so much infinitely better than the 80 percent country, 20 percent rap version, yeah. which is like Jason Aldean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kenny so, Chesney's. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there anyway, have been like right. flashes of it. There was Bubba Sparks years ago. There was uh, even like a band like Arrested Development that kind of had a little bit of that going on. Um, you know, folk. there's been hints that it was on its way, but uh, it washed over us this year. So, um, like before we jump in and, and start actually counting down our top twenty three, twenty songs, twenty best albums of the year. I mean. Um, what, looking at the list, uh, what you know, what didn't make it that that you would have really lobbied for? I really like the well, Sturgill record, and uh, was shocked you guys didn't have that on your list, or even um, you know, it kind of I had it highly ranked. It was an album that I thought really grew on me. At first, it was when I heard about it, I wasn't excited about it because I really like Sturgill's country sound and his kind of roots. He just does it so well. I think, uh, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, I think there's a ton of, like, I think I discount very heavily for being affiliated with an anime movie. (laughs) And it's like, it's not a lot more complicated than that. It was like a very emotional thing. It was just like, oh, God damn it. Please don't do this. Yeah, no, I totally (laughs) thought he'd, you know, jump the shark. But it was a, um, but it's actually a really great record and has actually some, I mean, I wouldn't even call it a country record at all. It's got ZZ Top, a little bit of pop, you know, some Neil Young in there as well. And the anime story is even kind of interesting, too. It was when he was overseas in the Army, he just really fell in love with this artist and then, you know, stayed in touch with him and, and, you know, commissioned him to do the album or collaborate with him to do the album. So it's kind of a cool story, too, which I didn't know what I was As far as left turns go, that was as shocking as anything, um, you know, that came out this year. It's like, oh, there's a new Sturgill album. Oh shit! It's the first you know four ZZ Top records uh, mashed together, yeah, and it kind of rocks. Yeah, one uh, I, I would say the 
I mean, my most surprising, just to cut you in line, Christian, is uh, I, I'm not surprising so much as I think there is definitely a um, a bit of a penalty assessed for, you know, being consistent and uh, uh, consistently putting out good records to, you know, the point where, you know, they're not remarkable anymore. And, and I think a handful of bands that we know and love fell into that, you know, Wilco, Deer Hunter, um, Hot Chip, uh, to name a few, are all, all put out great records this year, uh, oh, none of which Vampire made Vampire Weekend. Vampire Weekend as well. Yep. Uh, all made great records this year that didn't make our top uh, 23, uh, top 20 <laughs> of the year. Um, but, you know. Yeah, no, they, I, I think that's, that's, that's definitely right. And um, I think, you know, that's one form of, of uh, penalty. And, you know, the other is putting two albums out in the same year. Yeah. Um, which, which has, we've had this uh, come up a couple of times in the past. But part of it is, uh, you know, as just to just to remind listeners, like we we really don't coordinate on um, the albums that we're picking. We sort of put our list, you know, we come up with it independently and then and then merge them um, before uh, sometimes uh, very much right before showtime. Um, and uh, so you know, we're we're sort of seeing seeing a lot of these um, a, a lot of the, like the actual final order uh, pretty much for the first time. And and I think like. You know, Big Thief being a good example this year, it's like, uh, I think I have both, and, and you each picked one, um, but frankly, they're both, you know, really, uh, really strong albums, so. Yeah, and I think both are, are making a, a lot of lists, even though one made ours, and I uh, agree. So, Jerry, uh, you want to jump in and start counting yeah, down? Yeah, I mean, we sent Christian to business school, and we ma- managed to get 23 out of 20, so um, <laughs> I can definitely... Uh, Definitely take start. Um, and take that, Goldman Sachs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're going to do really well, Christian, uh, with the uh, business. Um, so, yeah, we've got a three-way tie for number 20, and uh, I'm happy to see all of these folks made it. And uh, Tyler, the creator, at, at uh, the first, at 23, we'll say, and uh, with Igor. Chai um, at 22 with Punk, technically a tie. And then... Uh, Amel and the Sniffers, um, ST, and then on 19 we have Titus Andronicus, an obelisk, and then 18 we had the Chemical Brothers, No Geography, which is a great comeback album, and then Jade Bird as well. With Jade Bird, self-titled. Sorry, self-titled. Yeah. Reading those um, well, that's uh, that's great. Thank you. And yeah, I. I wanted to highlight a couple of these just because the way the way it shook out this year and it was kind of funny um i i think uh i think 16 through 20 say we're we're really like we're actually pretty highly ranked and consecutively ranked in my list um so this feels like you just took a chunk out of uh out of the back half of my top 10 basically um but you know the the two that i wanted to point to obviously you know huge titus andronicus fan um there are plenty of opportunities to hear us talking about that on this podcast, I think. Uh, but a couple of bands that we haven't really talked about um, as much, uh, Emil and the Sniffers, their self-titled album, um, really, uh, really kind of unfortunate band name um, as I'm, as I'm thinking about it. But, uh, and, and that was definitely, it's sort of, uh, I think like the super irreverent, like juvenile punk band names sometimes um, can be a little bit off-putting. Um, but this is a this is a really terrific group and and pretty polished. They've got just like absolutely uh, you know 
balls to the wall like performance. Um, and it there they are a, a four piece from Melbourne, um, a sort of seventies like rock inspired group. Um, but but I think uh, you know in addition to having like the sort of all of the swagger and like sensibilities and sort of um, chaos of like uh, of a you know Sex Pistols and. Um, they, they've also got some polish and they're, they're really good performers. Like they, they sort of understand that like, uh, this certain, this certain vein of punk can be, you know, pure theater when it's executed correctly. Um, and in that respect, it's just like, it reminds me of some of the better, um, you know, the, the really like great, uh, poppier punk performers like Yeah Yeah Yeahs, um, who, who I think are, are actually a pretty good comp for, for this group. Um, so I, I'd say like this was probably my most played for two months of the year, uh, and definitely recommend you guys check it out if you uh, if you haven't had a chance yet. Awesome. Uh, the other one I guess I would point to is um, Jade Bird, which uh, you know we we have talked about her at length, but uh, but I will take another You've been opportunity attempting to... to break her in yes. the United States for two three years now. Yeah, and you know, I think this is one of these uh, one of these situations where like uh, there was a fair amount of excitement ginned up about each of her singles, and somebody who was like organizing her her you know promotional run, like she did really well in, in um, at South by Southwest, and like I think there is um, like a tipping point for sending singles to uh, music critics. And, like, it's great. You want to get them excited and you want to keep giving them, you know, keeping, like, somebody's name in front of people. But at a certain point, like, when you get to, like, six, you need to just kind of, like, you know, cut it off and, like, create some suspense for the album. Well, I mean, even if the album's not going to be out for another six months, it's, like, it's fine. People, you know, they're going to remember the name um, when it gets back in front of them. What you shouldn't do is just like keep a continuous stream of uh, of singles going until the actual album release, and then realize that like you know seven or eight songs are sort of already out there in the in the public domain. So um, I think that may have uh, tamped down some of the excitement, um, but it's it's a great album, and I really I this again I would like I would super strongly say just like go back, not having you know not remembering too much. Uh, what the what the singles sound like and, and just give it a spin um, and end to end I think it's great I think it's got like excellent tempo like right combination of songs that are sort of leaning on her voice and sort of a more like intimate you know atmosphere and, and others that are um, much more kind of like big rock songs um, and she can really execute on both lives so yeah, it's a great cool. point on the singles because uh, I did love all the singles and then it kind of the suspense kind of faded. But um, I wonder if that affects a lot of bands. But I agree, she's uh, she's a star. She's the uh, so she has the polar opposite problem of Big Thief in this case of uh, you know dribbling out suspense too much and, and not releasing albums quickly enough. Anyway, you want to take a quick break and then we'll uh, we'll go sixteen to twelve.
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, we are counting down best albums of the year uh, for 2019. And Christian, what is next on the chart? All right, so uh, here we are. I'm going to be looking at our 16 to number 12 picks. Um, at 16, we have uh, our, uh, our Frozen Neighbors pup with Morbid Stuff. Um, then at 15, we've got Ezra Furman's uh, album 12 Nudes. Uh, tied at 13, we've got Better Oblivion Community Center's self-titled album. And then uh, Angel Olsen's All Mirrors. And then at 12, we have uh, one of my favorite albums of the year, uh, Purple Mountains. Yeah. Jared, so, what, did, uh, what did you like about, uh, about these? Yeah, so there's a couple I'll call out. Um, you know, I, I like... All of these were definitely uh, top albums for me, and, and you know I'll give a shout out to Better Oblivion Community Center. Prior to talking about other albums, because we talked about that in the past, but I, that's an album that stayed with me all year, and one of the kind of early releases. But two I wanted to kind of touch on were Ezra Furman's Twelve Nudes, and then uh, talk a little about Purple Mountains as well. Um, the Ezra Furman album Twelve Nudes, I mean we had him on the list last year, and uh, you know he is or she identifies as queer and, and and basically is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, it's um, two albums in a row that I think have everything I like about, um, you know, music in general. There's a, a urgency, there's a punk sensibility, there's great songwriting. There's a little bit of theatricalness to it um, to some degree and then like our glam tied in there. And I just felt like 12 Nudes was an, an album of the times. It was a very 2019 album to me. It was... An album that you put on and listen to, it's short, it's concise, but it um, sounds huge while doing that. And, uh, and also just very immediate and very um, urgent. It's like, a, one of, I think, one of the best punk records I've heard in a, a long time and just a, a great record. I think you guys enjoyed it quite a bit, too. It's reminiscent of uh, What a Time to Be Alive, I think, a little bit. Exactly, yeah. I, I would, that's a good comparison um, and then but he just has and he also just is, has great hooks you know and, and um, she has great hooks I, you know I don't even know what Ezra actually identifies as I know I've seen written in his own words as, as identifying as queer so we'll just say Ezra but, um, but a great album highly recommended and then Purple Mountains is you know obviously a little bit of a sad tale um, we had the self-inflicted death suicide um, by um Dave Berman. Berman. Yeah, David Berman, um, who for most of his career, or his entire career, had been going under the Silver Jews and collaborated with Malcolmus and uh, members of Payment and then on his own. And I personally have never, I've re- always respected David Berman um, for his impact to people I know. I, there's people that just really idolize this guy's writing and his frankness and his openness about the struggles he's had in life. The Purple Mountains is actually the first record of his that I both could kind of relate to and also just thought was a, a really great record. I'm not saying that, you know, people would put all the Silver Jews albums probably on top of their all-time list as well. It's just a band I, or a group I never really got into as much as I like Pavement. But with the Purple Mountains, there was, you know, sadly, it's, it's almost like a, a, a suicide note on album, which, um, you know, is a subject that he certainly touched on in the past. But there was just kind of like a a piece to it in a weird way and you know obviously him taking his life and and hopefully he's found that piece but it's a uh it also just 
had a little more of like a twang and sound and, and the songs um, rolled together in a way that, that I've never been able to get to, into him in the past. And I know, Christian, this was a higher one on your list as well. Um, it's an album that really hit me this year and, and I enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the timing was pretty, um, was pretty wild, actually, uh, just because I guess it came out back in, um, was it April, maybe? Uh, I should, should have had that in front of me, but, um, It was actually July, in any event, in the summer. Was it, was it July? Yeah, but yeah. it was, it was a very short time after that, um, that, uh, that he, uh, that he died, so I think it was one of those things that, like, I actually listened to it, um, pretty much, uh, simultaneous to the release and thought like, oh, this is, this is great. Um, and I sort of wasn't expecting to, to love it. I think partly because, you know, I, I, like you, I've, I've had, um, I like the Silver Jews, but they're not my, uh, they're not my preference between, you know, between them and, and Pavement maybe, or, um, a number of their contemporaries. And I think they sort of get a little lost in the shuffle, um, in that respect, but like, obviously really smart, um, very literate writing, you know, and uh, of course he was also a, a very accomplished, I think, published poet. Um, but uh, ultimately, you know, I, I'd sort of like this had really captured my attention and kind of drawn me in. Um, and and then you know to to hear about his his death so shortly thereafter was like was pretty jarring actually. Uh, and I, I think it was particularly jarring because it's just like. You know, I immediately thought back to pretty much the entire lyrics of the album, and it's like, oh, well, no shit, yeah. Right. I mean, this sort was, of it wasn't sense. exactly a subtle cry for help. Yeah. Um, it, I, and I, cry for help may be the wrong, the wrong terminology. It's just it, it wasn't subtle about like yeah, they, how he felt about the world. It was, it was deeply. A, it was a when, not an if. Yeah. Um, and I you think know, it I was. Think, uh, sorry, I think like you though, it was great to hear the album pre that pre you know the sad news of his um suicide um because it was an album that i really I, there's things like that that can draw you to an album because of the story or the sort of um you know uh obviously the guy committed suicide and then there's a he's a very kind of frank and, and literal writer and sings about a lot of his struggles but it was actually an album that i really enjoyed and then was kind of bummed out and he was like oh no really like <laughs> this is like the album that i uh, is already my favorite album by him and and uh but yeah when you go back it, it's all there and it's um and it but it's not a depressing album to me i mean it, it's somewhat lyrically depressing but there's some sort of like i don't know there's a, there's kind of an ease and peace to it that i think is really excellent no, I, I think that's absolutely right, um, and and so, I, I think what what I, I, you know, just technically or, or like um, uh, sort of sonically, what what I enjoy so much about it is that like, he he has this incredible um, sort of uh, a, a tempo, I guess, um, or ability to like phrase and sort of wrap words around um, around melodies uh, that I think is is really pretty exceptional and um you know there's there's no there's no better example of that in in his um in his songbook really than uh than than this album so i i would again i you know it'll it is kind of sad obviously um to to dig into it uh at this point but i think it's i think it's really kind of a classic 
All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and and, uh, get into our top 11. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where today we are wrapping up uh, 2019 and going through our top 20-some-odd um, <laughs> albums of the year. <laughs> and this number seems to seems to be kind of a moving target. I think we're up to 23 of the top 20 albums of the year. Uh, I, I apologize for, uh, for the shitty math. Um, but uh, we are now about to reel off 11 through 6. Um, and uh, in eleventh place is the Big Thief album that we um, that we we agreed made the list, and that was that was Two Hands. Then uh, ten, Sandy Alex G's House of Sugar, uh, tied for eighth. We have uh, two leading ladies of, uh, of of the music industry right now: um, Sharon Van Etten's "Remind Me Tomorrow" and Billie Eilish's uh, "When We Sleep, Where Do We Go." Um, then at seven we have Helado Negro's "This Is How You Smile," and at six we have <clears throat> apologies to my Turkish friends, um, Nilufer Yanya's Yanya. uh, "Miss Universe." Yeah. Um, she's uh, she's terrific actually. So I'm I'm excited to hear you uh, hear you talk about some of these albums, Wyndham. What, what stands out to you in that group? Um, well, I, you know what's funny is as much as the uh, the higher uh, round was was a reflection of your list, this is very much a reflection of mine. Uh, with these, uh, Big Thief wasn't on mine, but it was probably twenty one on out of twenty. Um, Sandy Alex G, I loved Sharon Van Etten. I think put out her best album, and you know that includes a catalog where Jer had one of her albums on his top ten of the decade. So you know. She's on a roll and doing some cool stuff acting as well. But the uh, and Billie Eilish, you know, again, like I said, if it weren't for Lizzo, it would be the year of Billie Eilish. But oh, uh, yeah. one quick Billie Eilish note it's actually the first uh, time and, and probably not the last, but that my uh, nine year old turned me on to an artist. So kudos. Wow. 
Welcome to the welcome to the other side. Um, I would just point out that I actually also uh, told you about this artist, Jeremy. You just never fucking listened to me. <laughs> um, anyway, I wanted to talk about Gelato Negro, number seven album. This is how you smile. But first, I wanted to do a, a bit of a riff on Nelu for Yanya. And again, apologies uh, if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. There, there's an umlaut over the U in Nelu. Yeah, I don't know what the hell to and, do in the middle of that. <laughs> and I honestly, I mean, she's a. Uh, Turkish Barbadian London native um, and to be honest with you I didn't realize they had umlauts outside of Scandinavia and Germany so um, I'm thoroughly confused uh, but this is one of my favorite albums of the year and it a little embarrassing because it came out in March and I listened to it for the first time in November but uh, in that short period of time uh, that I've gotten to know this record it has been on absolutely constant uh, rotation in my house. Um, it is, it's got some edges, but it's a pretty straightforward rock album. Um, and I think you do get thrown by, um, sometimes you, you sort of, uh, make presumptions about what an artist is going to sound like either by virtue of a band name, like Amel and the Sniffers, or, you know, by virtue of someone's name um, that you, you know, I, I was thinking this is going to be a folk record or, or some sort of, um, you know, sort of uh, world music kind of thing. It's not. It's a straightforward, kick-ass, um, female-driven, you know, guitar and synthesizer uh, record I th- that has... I think part of it is like the tradition of, uh, of, I mean, you know, the folkier or country side of rock being reflect so, uh, you know often often taking um uh like individuals names you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's um and this this one um again uh just wasn't expecting it a lot of attitude um uh, which is always welcome uh, particularly when it's uh you know sort of um revealing itself through a great a very hooky um and, and as you said, Jeremy, I think when we discussed this album the first time, this album has weird turns within the songs. There's, uh, yeah. you know, you think you're, you, you feel like you're going to get one song where the progressions are going to be relatively predictable, and they're not. You know, there's some really strange U-turns in the middle of these, and for that I am very thankful. I think it's one of my favorite albums of the year, and I think much like Be the Cowboy last year where it was you know, on my list, but not number one. Uh, This could very well be my favorite album from this year by the end of next year, if that makes sense. Um, 100%. It does. You are are really, uh, you know, I think uh, maturing into a a secret prog fan. Yeah. Um, And you're going to be listening to Rush in in no time. (laughs) I'm going to be air drumming to Rush in no time. When you put King Crimson on the playlist, we will uh, all have to disband the pod. Hey, I had... King Crimson uh, sample as my number one of the decade. So there you have it. Um, I was but, given that album when I was a teenager, actually, by my mom, which was kind of oh cool. So yeah, um, yeah. I, that's that, Just this that is one where song. We part. All the but, other um, songs, not not that good. <laughs> I actually wanted to uh, you know sort of bring Jaron on this because I know um, Halado Negro was was way up on my list, but it was number one on your list. This is how you smile, and uh, you know, so give give us the lowdown on why it's your number one. Yeah, I mean, I, when I look at albums of the year in general, I tend to kind of um, wait just the, obviously the amount I listen to it, but if an album stayed with me throughout the year, and, and this was one that I, you know, got hooked on right away and have not gotten sick of, and 
I have a soft spot for just that that album. I travel a lot for work and you know do a lot of things that I can just kind of put on and, and just really enjoy and, and and from start to finish and it, it has a great mood but he's also just a, a rare talent and uh great name first of all uh for for his uh dj name or moniker it's you know his real name is Rob, roberto carlos lang um Negro translates to black ice cream black ice cream yeah, yeah exactly for those of you who know spanish as well as i do but um it, it is a fun name but i also just think this album it reminds me of like an air moon safari rye woman i have a you know there's a um i don't like you know super smooth acid jazz type music and i don't i'm not at all comparing that to this i'm just saying there's an element of of kind of smoothness and cleanness but with enough kind of interesting hooks and and you know sounds and, and different styles wrapped in and you know just this there's a restraint actually, to it yeah there is it's like it, it, it feels like very textured music right like, it's super textured. It's it's um it you know it it's not you know danceable or anything like that. But it's an album too that I think you would put on and, and you would get asked probably by anyone in the room or anyone you had over like who is this or you know or a different song or people would like you know fall in love with a, a certain song on the album and then get into the whole the entire thing. And he actually this year was uh, um, awarded the United States uh, Artist Fellow in Music and also he was a recipient of the um, 2019 Grants to Artist Award in, in, in Music from the Foundation for Contemporary Arts, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that. It's not something that I, I follow the uh, recipients every year. I, but, um, I don't think I, I recall checking their year-end list. <laughs> exactly. But, um, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a rare talent and, you know, melds a lot of a lot of different sounds together in, in a really kind of uh, unique way and this album yeah, you know certainly his breakout for sure it's always sings interesting in multiple languages. Think, to me when it's always interesting to me when somebody like takes a step down on what i would just describe maybe as like a, a, a plane of like sophistication um and it's like suddenly it becomes you know i become aware of something because like they step out of the sort of you know slightly more um highbrow uh art world in some way um and and i think sort of uh, uh take a more of a pop turn or you, you you know you discover that somebody was a well as as well you know it, it's sort of the the music school effect i guess basically it's like oh you know and, it, and not just like um this person like you know studied garage punk at berkeley um <laughs> it's like uh you know this this person like studied um like bach you know, or music or theory, whomever, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, like composition or something at yeah. like a pretty, pretty intense uh, cons- conservatory or something. So, well, I think you too, um, you realize, I mean, having come up in kind of, you know, skater punk and, and, you know, pretty, you know, one of the reasons you get into punk rock or a lot of people do, or, or you know, even because you can the, suck the and still be good at it. Exactly. <laughs> is it, you can relate, right? I, I can't play King Crimson, you know, organ solos, but I might be able to bang out three chords like the Ramones. Um, I think, too, you realize with some of our favorite artists, especially on this list, just how musical these folks are and how much work mm-hmm. they put into it, um, where you're like, oh, wow, that sounds no, it, really it, simple, look, there, but it's very intricate. There are a lot of different axes on which you can judge, you know, and a lot of different criteria on which you, you can judge uh, good music and good musicians. And I think, like, the really exciting, fun stuff is to discover somebody who's, like, who you feel is just firing on all of those levels. And, you know, I, I go back to one of our favorite artists in, in um, you know, something like LCD Sound System, where you feel like, 
you know, they get it on multiple tiers, right? And, and there's, like, the really high-quality musicianship there and, and a sort of sophistication about a lot of it. But there's also just, like, the incredibly self-aware, like, pop-cultural element mm-hmm. of it as well. And, like, I, I think being, you know, getting both of those things and, and um, is, is key. But, yeah, it, it, like, it is always cool when you, when you find out that somebody you really like is, like, nominated for an award at the Kennedy Center or something, and you're yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah, um, it's, so it's it kind of fun to see that happen. Yeah. Well, you want to take a quick break, and then we will do our top of the charts. Let's do it. Left town, an ocean on top. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod, and we are doing our uh, fourth annual Best Album of the Year, and uh, it was a good year, a really good year of music, and we're down to our, our final uh, top five, and we're going to touch on, uh, we're each going to kind of talk about um, the top three, but before that, at number five, wins uh, number one album of the year, and an album that he talked about since it came out, Weissblood's excellent Titanic Rising, um, one of our favorites and certainly one of my favorites, Anderson Pax Ventura. And then uh, a, a guy and group that Christian turned us on to and that uh, we were lucky enough, I think, to see back to back. And we talked about on one of our earlier What Are You Listening To episodes. At number three is Kyle Kraft's Showboat Honey. And Christian, why don't you uh, kick that one off? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm obviously, I, I think Kyle Kraft, we've, we've talked about on this podcast before just showboat honey was uh was probably my most played out um album of the year uh really touches on all of the uh sort of rock country glam like um uh you know sort of like touch touch points points that i think all of us really enjoy um uh, just stylistically and and genre wise uh but i also i I i think part of it is just like Every once in a while, you, you stumble across an artist and you just think, why in the hell am I not having this conversation with everybody? Like, how has how this person, you know, not, um, not got a bigger profile yet? Uh, and, you know, that comes down to um, the fact that he's, uh, he's linked up with, with Sub Pop now as well and, and you know, a, a real sort of um, powerhouse uh, label in the indie rock world. So I, I think um, I'm, I'm excited for, for what's to come and... Uh, you know, and and looking forward to um, seeing uh, seeing the future product of, of all of his work. But like, he's just he's really got a great voice and uh, a terrific um, sort of musicality uh, 
great arrangement. Like, um, and the shows, you know, we saw were, were a ton of fun. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that profile uh, grow over the next yeah, couple think, of years. I think his collaborators and producers are in his band. So, you know, I, I would think that there'd be a lot, you know, there'd be fairly rapid or uh, prolific output. But I, I will say this album, as soon as you turn us on to it, um, you know, it, was, it remained on all year again. And, and um, every single song on it's good. Definitely. Yeah. And also a guy, you know, kudos Christian for turning us on to it. Not on a lot of lists that I've seen this year, but somebody that um, we saw back-to-back, as I mentioned, in, in, in Brooklyn and, and Boston. And the Boston show in particular, they both were, you know, fairly lightly attended. He, he's not super well-known, especially at that time. And uh, puts on a show. I mean, there was when I saw him at Great Scott's before we went down to Baby's All Right. And... Uh, I got to say, like, you got to always give somebody a lot of credit when they walk out and there's, you know, maybe 20 people, 30 people there um, who are very into the show and and there to to see some great music and they just ripped, you know, there was like as if they were playing to, you know, thousands of people, which I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there there are a million reasons why you know why that kind of thing happens, but it's like whatever the hell people were doing in Boston that night, um, this was it, better. It was probably less fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Than than going to that Kyle Kraft show, I, and I felt the same way. It was like it was pretty well attended, or um, at Baby's All Right, but like you know, for for those who uh, who who know that club in in Brooklyn, it's like it's you know it's a um, like two hundred and fifty cap room, I'd say so. Um, it's uh, maybe a little smaller, actually. Um, but you know, it's it's like it's a pretty intimate setting. It's it's one of my favorite places, if not my absolute favorite place to to see music. So I was I was really happy that he played there. Um, and that was also the second uh, show in a in a pretty um, let's say his, historic uh, doubleheader that we had that evening, where um, we we went to uh, the Chemical Brothers show at Forest Hills first. Um, and I'm actually still recovering four months later. So, uh, yeah, who says you can't make I, I think, decisions on, on while drinking lots, lots of alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> we will go to this second concert. Um, yeah, and I will move tomorrow. Uh, mm. th- that was definitely questionable judgment, but um, you know, I, I think. Uh, look, I think this was this is one of my favorite albums of the year. I just I kept going deeper and deeper on on um, his back catalog as well, and I really think it's it's all good. Um, it's, uh, he's, he's got like some genuinely, um, funny lines in there too. Uh, so there's, there's a, um, there's a very like sharp and, and sort of shrewd, uh, writer, um, in, in him as well. And I think, uh, yeah, for, for all the reasons that we just mentioned, this is, this is definitely worth uh, keeping an eye on and, and hopefully, um, hopefully we'll see more from him soon. Cool. Let's take a quick break and come back and and reveal our top two albums of the year. Said 
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, and thank you for your patience. I'm certain that you are climbing the walls with anticipation to find out what our top two albums of the year are, and I won't keep you waiting any longer. Number two is Norman Fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. Um, It was, I think, number two for... I know it was number two on my list. I think it might have been number two across the board. It was, um, well, I think, a favorite of all of ours, and, and... was a favorite from the first um, spin that each of us gave it. Uh, it's so literate, intelligent, um, beautiful, uh, beautifully performed, beautifully arranged, and beautifully sung, and well written, um, and very amusingly refer- uh, titled Norman Fucking Rockwell. But every song from you know Mariner's Apartment Complex um, to you know uh, Venice Bitch. Um, every song on this album is worth listening to. My favorite currently is the greatest, but you know tomorrow that could change. It's a it's a one of those records where uh, you know the album's one of your favorites of the year, but um, at given any given time, your favorite song can change from day to day. Um, it also it, it also has the effect of of sort of being a, a nearly continuous narrative almost. Um, I think partly because it, it does such a good job of, of capturing a, an atmosphere and like or, or a mood um, and and in that respect you know I I think it would be difficult for me to pick out any one particular track that I that I want to throw on um, I mean it, it wouldn't be that hard but um, I think I think you you highlighted uh, a couple but you know the 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 thing flows together so nicely uh, and it's so sort of uh, so well well. Blended, uh, that that it's really something I, I like listening to, sort of on on start to finish, you know, continuous loop. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way about Wise Bloods, Titanic Rising, and as I mentioned before, Mitski's Be the Cowboy. There's there's certain albums that I I don't want to hear songs, individual songs of. I want to hear the whole thing. Yeah, um, we dedicated a, a pod to this album, and as well as I think with Lana Del Rey, it, it's always just interesting to see an artist that continues to peak so you know i think you know all, all of her albums are, are very critically acclaimed and, and all good but it seems like she sort of steps it up a notch with each release and this one uh, rightly so got um, Towers. tons of critical acclaim this year and another album that really crosses over i think to a lot of different listening styles so people you know younger kids and stuff really love this album it, and you know obviously yeah, your we, kids and your mom will we like, like it totally it's a great record you know it's, it's kind of interesting thinking about uh all of her success and and how much of it is um seemingly uh you know so it's sort of built on this this very like coy personality um and and somewhat somewhat mysterious personality mm-hmm. uh and i think you know she she sort of is very guarded about who the real Lana Del Rey is, um, and is a bit of a shapeshifter in that respect. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the polar opposite end of that spectrum is like the sh- sort of shining, bright, like authenticity of our number one artist this year. Um, what a what do you think about that uh, that juxtaposition? I think yeah. I I would disagree with you just in one sense. I I do think they're both. Uh, to a degree, I mean, they're both have, you know, both of them play under a, a moniker, um, not their real name, and there is a little bit of a character. I think number one, we'll announce it, is uh, Lizzo, because I love you. 
Can, can um, we get a flute solo? I think, uh, I do think that, you know, there is an amplification of her personality in this. I, I, uh, if, if she's, um, you know, if this is her resting heart rate, that's a fucking awesome human being. But I, I'm not sure that, you know, I think she play. you know, I think she knows when she's performing. Yeah, I, I mean, think that's that's absolutely right, and we don't, you know, I, I don't um, necessarily. Uh, I put it this way: she she has the same personality on stage at every occasion. Um, <clears throat> I don't really have a good sense of of who Lana Del Rey is. She's come up with a different character for every album. Yeah, I, I would one hundred percent agree. Yeah. I think Lizzo. I think we've we've got Lizzo. Um, pretty well sussed out after the first couple minutes. I, I think she's somebody who lights up when she's on a stage, um, yeah. and there is probably a uh, slightly um, more muted personality presence. Yeah. Yes, but you know, be. perhaps yeah. not. I've never seen it. There's no evidence of it. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> she is awesome. She is yeah, uh, no, so much fun. Every song on that record's a hit. And yeah, I was gonna say this year. The sum it, it up, I mean, Lizzo in general, I feel like any time this year I've been in an Uber with, you know, or, or Lyft car and it's been playing and the driver and myself are, you know, nodding our heads and singing along. I walk down the street to the, you know, sandwich shop and the girls behind the counter are dancing, you know, not giving a shit who's watching uh, when it's on to the point of where I, you know, it's an album that, you know, yes, my kids love. Um, and also I had the pleasure of seeing UVA beat Virginia Tech. It didn't go to either school and generally don't really care that much about college football, but having to be home at uh, Wynn and I's mom's um, place in Charlottesville and, and got tickets to go with my dad and, and to see the entire student body jumping up and down before they ran on the field after beating Virginia Tech for the first time in 15 years to uh, Truth Hurts also just gave you chills because it's, it's just universally the best album of the year by far and then also just an album that like, everybody loves. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And a person yeah, everybody no, loves. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. It's like you couldn't be rooting any harder for her success um, after seeing her the first time, uh, and, and, you know, really just being sort of captivated by this, this, like, spell that she puts on anybody who's watching her perform. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's really terrific stuff. And I think, you know, when, when you're really, like, weighing out the, the strengths of, of this album, um, it's, it's so hard to pick, like, what, you know, I, I think the, the, one of the coolest parts about this was sort of, first learning about it, um, or first hearing it, I guess, you know, sort of piecemeal and, like, track by track, and, like, this is an example of, you know, the, the hits just not stopping, um, and it was, it was, like, you would, you know, each week, uh, hear a new song that you would say, oh, shit, this is gonna be the song of the summer, um, and it kind of was all of them, actually. Yeah, it was, it was the songs of the summer, and I also, you know, the, and, and the, um, you know, the fact, and we were talking about it before, you know, that some of these people have like a, uh, you know, a sort of talent above and beyond the sort of pop music that they're playing. I mean, Lizzo, um, at that Tiny Desk concert, when she busts out the flute solo, um, you know, I thought I was going to faint because I was so happy. Um, it was yeah, slick, no, exactly. You know? <laughs> and by the way, that's not something I like 99 times out of 100. Yeah. So it's like, it's doubly impressive that you've, um, you know, managed to break out a flute solo and like not do so in a way that I think is 
fucking no. lame or nerdy or um, you know neither of which are yeah just just, just like it's not obnoxious. Yeah, I was going to say the 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 other person you know on this on the on the top uh, portion of this list. Um, who you know is like that? I think is Anderson Pack. Um, if you've ever seen him play drums, it's it's there's yeah, something totally to it. It's a he's a great drummer and a perf- great performer as a drummer, which is not always uh, easy to be. Yeah, no, he's um, he's definitely uh, an exciting guy to watch, and you know um, gets out of the out of the pocket a little bit, and is is really kind of moving around up there, which is always which is always cool. Yeah, and so, yeah, Lizzo is, um, you know, this is, as we said at the top of the show, this is the year of Lizzo, and, and I don't think anybody's going to take it away from her. I think I think she might just, you know, trounce over to 2020 and take that year over as well. Who knows? Yeah, she's um, primed. It is funny. There, I mean, not funny to her, I'm sure, but uh, there was this rash of stories, you know, a couple months ago where everybody in the world was claiming that they were plagiarized by Lizzo, and hopefully, you know, I'm hoping to God that's not true, but at the same time, it feels like the kind of album that everybody wants to take credit for. One thing, too, I mean, some of the, the singles were actually songs that she had recorded earlier and just couldn't quite break, but they broke on this album in this year with A, a Vengeance, and God yeah. knows, you know, lucky for us that they're all, we're all together, but yeah, Truth Hurts that, is a, four year, is a three-year-old song, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's really, uh, I think it's it's... An important testament to um, getting the timing right and and sort of getting the the broader chemistry right for uh, for for how you get your music out there. Just an aside, Minia- I, she Minneapolis played, back on the map, by the way. With, uh, yeah, after uh, music and hip hop. A couple years after Prince, um, but the you know one thing, just a sort of anecdotally about how popular she became. That she played the hockey arena at BU this year, Gannis Arena, and I was, you know, it was right around the time I, you know, became aware, or a little, you know, a couple months after I became aware of her, and I was like, oh, you know, grab a ticket on SeatGeek or a ticket on StubHub. I could not find a ticket to get into that arena for under $300. Wow. So. That is uh, that is a hefty bill. Anyway, let's take a quick break, and we'll, we'll end this the way we end every episode. Like a crystal ball 
Welcome back to our final Brother, Brother, Brother episode of 2019. Again, uh, congratulations to you guys on this being our 151st episode and also on it being our fourth annual uh, top countdown of the, the albums of the year. So um, good we work. Thank you. the math right. So. No, well, and never will. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I ask, I'll flip this question to uh, Christian. What are you listening to? Jeremy, what are you listening to? <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll take. I'll pick up that fumble, and uh, I've actually uh, started a book. I'm really enjoying. You, I think, talked about it. Win in the past, and uh, ripe off of Marriage Story, which we talked about in our last episode. I'm reading Taffy. Um, is it? How do you say her? Is it Brodesser? Brodesser. Brodesser. Brodesser Eckner. Or Fleischman in Trouble, and it's a. It's a really fun read. I'm about to go on vacation for the holidays, and I um, and thoroughly enjoy it. She's a great writer, and uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, um, Semple. And, and Maria Semple, yeah. Maria Semple, yeah, the old Simpson writer who wrote Where'd You Go, Bernadette, and just really nails people, and she's uh, she's really funny, and it's about a you know gentleman who's going through a divorce and, and living out the modern dating world while being divorced. It's, it's a hilarious book. And then... Also, just kind of wrapping up The Watchmen, which I know is a show that Wynn and I really got into, um, strangely, because neither of us care about superheroes, comic books, or uh, any of that world, but it's a show that continuously um, just turns and twists in ways that I, I've enjoyed all season. I have one more to go, and uh, highly recommend it. Wynn, what yeah, do you think? Would you, I, I would you say this. that you like uh, Sturgill Simpson's anime movie more, or the comic book that you started <laughs> reading recently? Um, <laughs> um, I, no, I never it's, saw it's, the anime it's, movie, <laughs> But I, uh, I would say if this had, if this was more superhero, I would have turned it off a while ago. And I, it's one of those shows that I want to say too. Like I'm, I'm almost looking for a reason. Like when are these guys gonna fuck this up? Because I like it. And yeah, I same. Like it. And same. I think it's really it, good. It's as, it's no, as it's un, Damian, unpredictable. Uh, it's got nothing in common thematically. But the last time I was this happy with the unexpected turns in a TV show was Fargo season two. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. That's a good. I, I think that's you're right in in that it's sort of uh, um, a a good comp in the sense that you do I think need to um, sort of stick with it for a couple of episodes or at least that was that was my feeling about it. I didn't have the benefit of watching it. Um, I think or I didn't have the benefit of of uh, talking to you guys about it when I was watching it. Um, and I would say that episodes one through four. Something needed to happen in Required patience. five and six. Yeah, exactly. Or I was gonna lose interest. I think. Um, but it, it really, it like I, I would. My my only critique of it would be that it is very heavily plotted, um, yeah. and it's just like a lot of information. And I think it benefits uh, from that. I think it does when it finally resolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and like once once those different storylines that have been like seemingly moving in separate directions independent of one another uh, sort of start to converge and you you can see this bigger picture. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right that it becomes a pretty uh, pretty fabulous story. Um, and, and I think I'm caught up at this point. Uh, but um, yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think it's a it's a really good show and even to the point that like I, I wouldn't necessarily say with the exception of like one or two very, obvious like forward themes that you know from the outset are going to be like um some of the bigger uh 
priorities for, you know, uh, like, as far as the message is concerned. Um, I, I think that this, like, took it in an unexpected direction and sort of went that extra layer um, uh, deeper in, in the last couple of, of, in the last two episodes in particular that, that I've really appreciated. So um, it's, it's kind of worth sticking with it. I really would have to stress because I, I don't know that everybody uh, who doesn't have a taste for, for that sort of genre would otherwise do it. Nice. What are you listening to? Oh, that was the one I would, that's, I, that was my pick. Oh, Gotcha. <laughs> both, both no, I'm, I'm literally just yeah. I'm I'm copying out of this one right now. Okay. Um, okay. So what am I listening to? It's it's screener season. So I've been watching a lot of uh, you know sort of academy movies. I'm looking forward. I just uh, got Little Women in the mail today, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Oh hell yeah! Because uh, Louisa May Alcott, uh, as with the aforementioned Claro, are both from my wife's hometown of Concord, Massachusetts. So, um, but, well, uh, viewing party. Yeah, that exactly. is, that is more Louisa May Alcott trivia than I ever expected was going to get discussed on this show. It's, it's probably her last appearance on our show. So good night, um, <laughs> Joe March and good night, Louisa May Alcott. Um, I did see the two popes the other day, uh, which I liked for a spell and then I kind of, eh, uh, lost a little bit of interest in, but, um, the one, do, do you think uh, that there's a um, it, it, just to like stick to stick with the two popes thing for a second? I'm always excited when I see like some some kind of drama that's going to be based on like the high you know sort of like pageantry and crimes and drama and like backroom negotiating and whatever of, of like the Catholic Church, and I'm almost always disappointed by it. Yeah, uh, we are almost always disappointed by the the movies or by the Catholic Church because they're both very disappointing. <laughs> well, I only have experience with one, so yeah. uh, the the mo- but like movies and television, like I just it's 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 one of these um, it, it's one of these like areas that just feels in- like so frequently you know, addressed, um, rarely and full like, enough it explored. Should be very yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's also just it's like it tends to fall and like fall into. A bunch of traps and and frankly into like a bunch of tropes and cliches pretty quickly. Yeah, I think the story you're looking for would be on Frontline as opposed yeah. to uh, Hollywood. <laughs> that version. is really good one. That's, that, maybe that's a good point. They're there's more a good, uh, more, a good more conducive to documentary than. <laughs> there's a, a good documentary called um, oh, what the uh, is it Maximia Culpa? Um, I, I'm not going to get the name 100 percent correct. Uh, but it, it was a very, very uh, basically any any documentary you watch about that particular subject is a really difficult a really difficult watch. Generally, reasonably rewarding intellectually, but devastating emotionally. Um, so uh, there's my that's my uh, parental warning. By the way, Jer, uh, I wanted to ask: um, Do your daughter sit in the back of the car now and say, "Dad, play Norman fucking Rockwell"? <laughs> Uh, no, they do. I'll take that as yeah. a no. Just um, a young one. Let's see what uh, um, NFR we have to call it one. Yeah, no, I, I guess I've just been watching a lot of new movies. As I said last week, Uncut Gems is great, and I I, I like this this year. Um, I've been just really impressed because I've, I think we've had some dry years over the last several years in terms of movies. And this year we have The Irishman, which is phenomenal. Marriage Story is phenomenal. Um, 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I loved. Um, we have Uncut Gems, which is great. Uh, Parasite. Parasite, phenomenal. Um, you know, it's it's been a really rich year for movies, and so that is my semi-cop-out of what am I listening to, uh, is just to laud the um, the number and volume of, of excellent movies that um, have come out this year. It has been lean the last couple of years, so uh, an exciting year for movies for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've got so, a lot of catching up to do. I'm psyched. Well, you're staying at my place uh, at some point in the next couple of weeks, so there will be a stack of, of uh, screeners that you can make your way through. Hell yeah. All right. Loaded. And you didn't hear that Motion Picture Association of America or whoever <laughs> yeah. is responsible for <laughs> shutting down our podcast? <laughs> exactly. Oops. Um, never mind. Uh, anyway, uh, do you want to guys want to add a song to the playlist? Yes. Christian? Wyndham? Jeremy? <laughs> All right. I'm going to go... Um, Gosh, we are so prepared for our final episode here, aren't we? I'm going to go with Lizzo, and uh, I'm gonna, my favorite track on that album is Truth Hurts. I think it's the, it's the most bangingest song on that record. They're all great, and I know uh, when your favorite's Juice, but Truth Hurts is the one I want on the, li- on the playlist. So we're going with Truth Hurts. Awesome. I like it. Christian? Let's see. I think I will throw on... All right, it's new and it's kind of a risk, but but I think it's got the staying power, so so I'm going for it. Shiny new model by Bodega. Cool. Awesome. And I am gonna go with tried and true, uh, old school, old favorite, and put on Left of the Dial by the replacements. Ooh, yeah. Good one. Good choice. All right. Well it was great doing Happy. this with you guys. And yeah, catch up with you next week. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.